Welcome to So You're Kinda a Big Deal, a weekly podcast deep diving into the lives of emerging and established tattoo artists. Listen in as we dig into origin stories, industry hot topics, and what it takes to survive in the world of tattooing. This is Tattoo Shop Talk. Join your hosts, Sean Headley and Dave Allen, every week as we host a new guest. It's no secret Dave and I have a good guy connection, but we have a great relationship with many respected suppliers. Working with Lucas Ford at Classic Tattoo, I saw firsthand the blood, sweat, and stress he went through building Good Guy. Creating products for your peers is no easy task. With many to critique any small missteps, including myself, tattooer owned and family operated since day one. With Lucas, Rob, and Natalie at the helm, you know exactly what you are getting. High quality products, fair prices, and excellent customer service. Shop, support, good guy. The Hold Fast Social Club keeps expanding and adding features to make the life of tattooers easier. We just launched a classified section for pros only. Sell your tattoo gear, prints, whatever in one spot. This is on top of a platform with peer-to-peer vouching, direct connect, a wait list, and geo-searching. Now you can find guest spots or forever homes at studios everywhere. No guessing, no awkward conversations. See what shops or artists have to offer. Mark them as favorites or add yourself to their wait list to let them know you are interested. Old Fast Social Club keeps adding features to make connecting easy. Pros only, a place where the best of us can elevate each other. Oh, crazy. Rob Pass, welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, hey, thanks for joining us. Um, what time? It's 6 p.m. for you? Yeah, yeah, just about, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's not bad. I'm, I'm in 10 a.m. and he's in 9 a.m., so. 9 a.m., yeah. You know, it's just at this time of the year, it's like it gets dark, like around 4.30 over here. It's horrible. I hate it. It is crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I am in Alberta, it's just like black at 4.30. Sean's basically in the Arctic. Really? <laughs> I was I was in Nor- it's like yeah I was in Norway in June and it was like craziest it was just like it's, it did it got dark ish but it never really got yeah. completely black it was dangerous so cool yeah, yeah it's cool but if you're drinking if you're drinking some beer or whatever and it hits like 12 o'clock one o'clock and you're just like you don't want to go home because it starts getting light again you know yeah totally <laughs> I was in Alaska years ago, and I can remember sitting around a fire. The sun's kind of going down. And I was like, I'm going to go to bed early so I can get an early start. Mm-hmm. And the guide said, yeah, early. It's 2 o'clock. <laughs> it's true. Exactly the same. Way past my bedtime. <laughs> yeah. Unreal. Well, let's just start with that generic general question. Just tell us a little bit about you know who you are and, and where did you get your start? Who am I? Uh, I'm nobody. Uh, I, uh, I'm Rob Koss. Uh, I, where did I get my start? I, I started actually when I was in university. It was finishing up school. I, I had gone to university for uh, like film. And uh, then I realized that it was really kind of uh, really difficult to make films, especially back before digital, because everything was extraordinarily expensive. And you're doing analog filming. And, oh, and yeah. you, you don't see what you got until two weeks later when it's developed. And then you realize it's a disaster. And then you try to redo it. So my passion for film um, kind of collapsed because uh, I was just kind of dependent on everybody else to help. And it was just expensive. It wasn't working out. And um, then I switched to uh, 
uh, graphic design thinking that it was kind of illustration because I was really always into art. And uh, it turned out after about another year and a half that it was really mostly just kind of like um, layouts and paste ups for advertising and things like that. And by that time, I had lost so much time uh, that I was afraid to make any changes. So I just figured I'd, I'd finish it up. And then as I was finishing up, I was just absolutely panicking because I really did not want to go into anything that was really commercial. And one of my, and I had been like, I was kind of like in the punk scene uh, doing like flyers and doing illustrations for fanzines and doing t-shirts and jackets. And, um, and I was getting, what city was this? This is in Carbondale, Illinois, which is uh, about six hours okay. south of Chicago. And, um, and one of my roommates came home with uh, a tattoo from Marcus Pacheco. And I was just blown away. I just could not believe that this could be done on skin. He was gone for the summer, came back, and he had this incredible tattoo. And then I started buying a couple of magazines because there was, I mean, there was very few at the time, but I picked up some magazines just for inspiration. I mean, I really didn't think much of it uh, because the stuff was starting to become so cool. You know, what was, what was popping out was just really unusual. And I was kind of surprised at what was possible. And I had drawn a few designs that were tattooed by some of my friends over by Brad Fink's place in St. Louis. And, uh, oh, cool. and then as I was getting towards the end of the year, I really, to be honest, I just, I, I had a panic and an epiphany at the same time. Um, where no, no shit. It was really, it was like the, the heavens opened and light came into my room. I mean, and just was like, oh, <laughs> I knew you have to become a tattooer. And it was really, really like that. I'd never had anything like that in my life before. And, uh, and so I called my mom, I think, and then I said, Hey mom, I think I'm going to become a tattooer. And she thought, she thought it was insane. I mean, nobody had any clue about tattooing back then, you know, it was insane. So she, so she said, well, I mean, what happens if you hurt somebody, you better get insurance. And I said, well, well, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's practical. Anyway, I had a credit card. I had no money. I hadn't seen money probably in nine months. Um, and I decided I'm going to buy Spalding and Rogers kit, and uh, without having any clue, I had no, I never even seen. You know, I, I, when I got tattooed, I was so nervous that I didn't really even look to see how it was done. I mean, one it was on my chest or my upper arm, and I was kind of just, you know, whatever. So I didn't really pay much attention to it. And then, uh, but I got this stupid book. I mean, you know the book, right? A to Z from Spalding and Rogers. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen the description on how to whip shade in that book? The the the, the, the diagram. I forget it. I should have to look. It's like, it's like, it's like arrows going this way, a line and then arrows going up, you know? So you just start to go, you know, in in fact, I thought that the rubber bands were packing material. So I took them off. I had no, I mean, the first two tattoos, I didn't even have rubber bands in the machine. You can imagine any, so I tattooed some roommates, I tattooed some friends, I did some horrible tattoos. I was, it was just, it was a disaster, actually, but I was really passionate about it. And uh, um, I ended up doing it like f- six weeks. I tattooed a couple of my friends, finished up school, got a job, went to, back to Chicago, where I'm from. I went to go buy some shoes in the city, and across the street was a tattoo shop. So I went over and asked uh, this guy, Tattoo Pete, if, uh, where he gets his insurance. <laughs> And he just fucking laughed. He laughed. What is this? Yeah, he laughed. Of course, he laughed. He goes, uh, 92. Yeah. 92 is uh, probably the last week of May of 92. Because I started tattooing at the first week of April. Um, and then he said, So you're, you're a tattooer? And I said, Well, I'm tattooing. Uh, and he said, Well, sh- show me your stuff. I said, I don't have anything with me. And he said, Well, draw me something. So I drew him a skull or whatever. And he was really quite impressed. I can draw so quickly. 
and uh, came back a few days later with my best six or seven photographs. And then he said, these are the worst things I've ever seen in his life. But if I want, <laughs> I can come on Wednesdays clean and watch the guys a little bit. So that's what I did. So I went on Wednesdays and cleaned up. And Amazing. Yeah. And Tattoo Pete, Color Fisi, he, um, what a, he was, uh, he studied or he, Colonel Todd was his teacher. So he was out in Long Beach. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And he was friends with Paul Jeffries. And so he was dropping names. And I think he, he knew Ed Hardy and stuff like that a little bit. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't talented by any means. But, I mean, he kind of, like, opened the door to one tattooing for me, basic tattooing, and some of the common names of the, the older guys who had, you know, established or whatever. So he, I learned the basics over there, but I didn't fit at all. I mean, this was a rough neighborhood. The guys that were working over there were from a bad neighborhood and uh, were really street smart. And I was fucking a suburban kid who just spent the last five or six years in, like, the, the farmer countryside of, you know, South uh, Illinois, Southern Illinois. And then they got back and I just, I mean, I just didn't fit, didn't fit whatsoever in, you know. So I started over there and then um, to make a Quick long, question. What? What, was, what was the tattoo scene like back then? Was it the beginning of like, you said you were in the punk rock scene. Was that part of it? Or was it just walk in flash? Well, at the time, it was a regular street shop. I mean, I, I mean, custom shops were very rare. I think that, I mean, uh, in Chicago, there was only one. I think Guy was the only one that was doing custom work. And he was also in his first couple of years of tattooing. I think he was tattooing for three or four years when I had started, maybe. Um, and then, I mean, there was pockets all over the States, you know, about, you know, there's probably about a dozen studios that were starting to do custom work. I mean, uh, <coughs> Primal Urge or I, mean, I think Everlasting was still everlasting, I guess, or whatever, just here and there, a fun city, yeah. that kind of stuff. And, um, um, so, uh, my boss, Pete, he, he heard of one of his friends. I don't know how he knew this guy, this guy named Emilio wanted to open up at that time. It was a completely new concept. It was like this a hair place, hair salon with a kind of like a bar coffee shop, uh, spa thingy and some tattooing. It was an old theater, super cool. Removed all the seats, the entire area where the seats were, um, it turned out to be like, I guess, the stations for the hair stuff or whatever. And the stage, he made a tattoo shop up there. It was really cool. It was wow. a really cool space. Wow. The problem was is that everybody that worked there was transvestites or weirdos. I mean, it was right on the corner of town. I mean, the coolest, if you, you couldn't pick a cooler corner of Chicago, it was like Belmont and Clark. It was where uh, like the punk area met the uh, the boys town. And at the same time, there's a corner where Wrigleyville Wrigley stadium was over there. It was really like a super eclectic, really, really cool place. And that's where we would all go. We'd go there to buy our Doc Martin shoes and boots or whatever, and go to concerts and go hang out or whatever. And it was a really, really cool place. And right on that corner, this guy opened up in this old theater, this place. And Pete thought he's going to make a million bucks and open up a tattoo shop there. Except the problem was none of the guys working at the tattoo shop wanted to work at the, Hair salon because they just couldn't deal with it. They couldn't deal with it at all. One, there was no work. I mean, it was a brand new place. And I just thought it was the coolest fucking thing ever. So within three months of the guys were complaining, I obviously didn't fit in. So Pete wanted his money back from his investment. And then I had a chance to buy that little tattoo shop. So that's where I got my stuff. Oh, sweet. Yeah, it was really super cool. Really, really cool. And of course, at the time, I mean, there was, so how long did that? How long did that last, that theater? When I left, I mean, by, 
okay, if I, I'm guessing I was there for about a year and a half before I started to go over when I w started working over my guy's place on the weekends. I was working with a guy on weekends for about a year, and then I went over there full-time. Um, and then Kim Sai took the shop over. She had moved from, I think, Columbus or Cleveland to Chicago, and she took the shop over. Um, and so I'm guessing in that location, four years, four years they stayed over there. And then they oh, moved wow. somewhere else. They didn't have the tattoo thing anymore, I don't think. Right Now you end up uh, in the East, I think. Chicago's got such a cool history back then. So many people came out of there. Yeah, yeah. Funny enough, it was it was really good. I mean, at the time, it was it was everything was just starting. So, I mean, uh, it was like the 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 first wave of young alternative artists anywhere um, uh, in Chicago. It was pretty early. I mean, you'd had Phil Holt on a couple of weeks ago, I think, right? And he was, yeah, he, yeah. was he was working over yep. there, and I think Tim Biedron was over there too. Tim Biedron. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, Kim Sai was over there. Uh, <coughs> Um, who else? I, mean, I don't know. Now there's a gazillion of them, but this, it, it was it was good. I mean, it's a big city, so of course. John John Clear. Yeah, true, true. But he came after I left. Yep. So I didn't. He was. I, yeah. I had already moved to Europe by the time he came to Chicago. Okay. Yeah. And so how long were you at Guilty and Innocent Productions? Two and a half years. The first year only. I think the first year, year and a half, I was there only on the weekends. The last year, full time. And then I moved to I I visited or I moved here when I was twenty six. So I've been here forever. I've been actually longer oh, in Switzerland than I've been in the states. So, oh, amazing! How, well, how did that happen? Girls, girls, they do that. <laughs> You know, I mean, you know, at the time, at the time, you know, this, this thing about the guest artists and traveling was, you know, really contagious. Now it's kind of like taken for granted. Everybody just does it. Um, but, um, at the very beginning, um, there was a really amazing possibility and everyone was really excited to have guests because they were so rare. So when I came to Europe, um, what I didn't realize is that the magazines that were, were, um, being distributed in the States were also being distributed here. So I had been in a few magazines and uh, there wasn't that many alternative, young alternative artists. So um, it was really like I went into a tattoo convention thinking I'm just happy to be here and I get to meet some new people and blah, blah, blah. And there was just everybody knew who I was. And then uh, it was, I mean, I wasn't very good, but they apparently thought I was. <laughs> um, and it was, it was lovely. I got a lot of opportunities. A lot of people invited me over to go with their, 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 their place and, guests and whatever. So I just kind of bopped around and, and then I ended up uh, running into a woman here in Switzerland that I had met at a convention in Seattle. And I didn't really know very many people. So when I was planning my trip through, I got in contact with her and then um, said that I would come and visit. And then we hooked up and then yeah, one thing led to another. Nice. But that's pretty much a lot of people. <laughs> I have a question. Dial it back a little bit. Working with Guy in Chicago, mm -hmm. did that have a big effect on the style of work you do? Of course, of course, of course. I mean, I, I mean everything. I, I think that. I, I mean, my biggest influences at the time. I think I think Marcus Pacheco originally was a big influence. But, you know, if you work in a room, I mean, the room that I was working in with Guy was so small. I mean, I could literally grab his nose anytime I wanted to. It was just the smallest brick. 
and it was horrifying. I mean, you can't imagine the to, to be working next to somebody that has like a, like a, some sort of prodigy it was just just so horrible for your ego. You know, and no matter what little bit I, I, I achieved or accomplished that day, you, you turn around and there's just like something fucking amazing going on next to you, and oh man, I suck. You know, um, but it was really it was really a great 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 experience. I mean, just from how things are laid out, how to do stencils. I mean, obviously now he turned out to be kind of like a, a teacher at the, the, the time that I was there, he was doing his actual first photocopied little booklet towards the very end called the reinventing the tattoo. That was his first little thing. And uh, yeah, that was that. being done while I was there. Um, but it was a great opportunity, of course. And so of course it, it, it kind of defined my style or it's, it's, it, it gave me the foundation. And funny enough is I didn't really come from much of a biomech organic background. I was really much more interested in like Art Nouveau um, and sort of like graphic art. Yeah, the I was going to say, how did you develop your, your style? Like you clearly were inspired by architecture. And yeah. Like that. So yeah. What, like where did that kind of come from? I think I always liked like architecture. Punk rock scene? architecture no 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 but i but i want you know it's not like how do i say that uh, is that exposure just to living in europe i loved art i loved all different i loved all different kinds of art and um uh i really was a huge fan of the art deco architecture of chicago there was a guy named lewis sullivan who had uh he did the entrance, he did the Carson Peary Scott building entrance. I mean, if you see this Carson Peary Scott entrance from Lewis Sullivan, you'll see clearly that this is like, oh, I can see that. All right, that's, you know, it's just amazing. And uh, that combined with the cathedrals when I traveled here, um, uh, Barcelona, some of those things going on over there. I just, I had anyway, anything that was beautiful, I liked. It wasn't like necessarily that I was like a, a total architecture freak, but I, I, I could have been an architect, I suppose, because I liked it so much. Um, but um, it was a combination of, of many different things. And if you knew me, um, it all kind of makes sense because I traveled a lot. Um, the cathedrals influenced me heavily. Then I had been to Indonesia and all this little spirally pointy stuff or whatever was fascinating and watching them do it. I would always go to where the hand, hand workers were making things and watch them make them. And it became really like, it, well, it touched me deeply. And then I kind of mimicked it. And, and then of course I liked uh, very much Alphonse Mucha and he had, you know, these beautiful women, but he also had these really nice ornamental like floral designs or whatever. And because he was really much almost a botanist in some ways or another. So kind of, if you pick all the things together, you kind of mix it all up. It kind of makes sense what I do, you know, um, mm -hmm. Absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, but uh, I don't know if I. I kind of got pulled into well, there, I guess there, I, I think I did the biomix stuff pretty good for Switzerland, and so I got a lot of a lot of attention for it, and a lot of people came for it, and so I ended up doing more and more. The more you do it, of course, the more people are, you know, asking for it. So, um, but at the yeah. moment, I'm doing a lot more floral stuff and. I don't know. Just do, just do my thing. <laughs> it's incredible. I remember, I remember the first time seeing one of your sketchbooks with all the uh, architectural elements. It was never seen anything like that before. People would use architectural elements, but not in that biomech kind of influence style. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. where does that? I mean, it's easy to to say it's obvious for you to say where it came from, but 
how did you stumble onto that? Like you didn't just use architecture in your tattoos, you really changed it and how you used it. That's a really good question. Um, I think one of the, how are these decisions made? I, I, it's, it's it, whenever you talk to an artist, I mean, of course you, you are, you, what you secretly want, or me at least, is to find out who's the person that makes the stuff, right? Um, but we're kind of like this, this shell of normal dude. <laughs> and then inside is a whole series of decisions. And those are the, that, that's the, yep. that, that sensitivity is what you want to, how do you see the world? How do you filter the world? And how do you combine the stuff to make things that look like look the, the way that you make them look? Um, so, I mean, I could, I guess, I suppose I could define or explain like how I made my choices, but, um, it was, uh, trying to take architectural elements, which are really stiff and straight and try, how do you put them on the body? And how can you make them so that they move and flow or whatever? And um, Guy had criticized me once, and oh, that hurt me deeply. But you know, really well-timed criticism can be very helpful. But he said I had no flow, and uh, that really got me. That would hurt. Yeah. <laughs> well, I worked pretty hard on, on creating a flow. So, uh, um, uh, yeah, it became really very important for me the way that things moved and then what i did was i would probably set up a movement and then i would build off of it you know and try and construct things on it that i liked so that ex explains how i would do like gothic windows that would kind of move and and uh yeah um, yeah. yeah yeah that book one of your first sketches really crushed me really uh, yeah it, you know every once in a while you could get exposed to something that's uh something you'd never thought of something you probably could and draw but you love it so much you're just like i gotta try this and it was impossible <laughs> you know you it's obvious when you do that that uh, someone like yourself has devoted a ton of time to doing what you do to refine it it's not a it's not like traditional leaves or something where i can learn to do that on a weekend and uh yeah it's it's impressive i think i think for me my week i'm actually the weakest at kind of doing um, traditional anything. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot of people that can really like look at something and they can kind of like reconstruct it or, or use these elements really well. And um, I think that's I'm just not very good at it. I, I always seems to somehow or another, um, it always kind of looks like my thing, you know, even if I try <laughs> to make it look a little bit uh, more traditional in some way or another. And, uh, but that was always yeah. important. I mean, I, I think that that was our, our friend Rob Hope. Mm -hmm. Same thing. He was like, I can't draw a tattoo. He used to always say that to me. I can't. He's like, I like your stuff because you draw tattoos. He's like, I don't know how to draw a tattoo. It's like, yeah, but you're drawing like insane realism and illustrative mm -hmm. gorgeousness and all the shit. It's just like, but he's like, yeah, but I just like to maybe draw a tattoo one time. And he'd try, you know, he would try and draw like a, just a traditional swallow. Huh? Dave's got one on him. It, it's still extremely realistic and illustrative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He just he can't dumb it. I guess you know the crudest way to say it is dumb it down. Yeah, I don't. I, I can't explain it. I don't know. I mean, I, I I can relate to him, but uh, I mean, I really do. If I want to draw something that's traditional, I really need reference. I need to really just have some stuff in front of me and really intentionally try to, you know, uh, get that same proportions. You know. It just doesn't doesn't occur naturally yeah. to me. But I, I'm not even given that many opportunities anymore to do stuff like that. So on your journeys, uh, after leaving guiltiness in Europe, mm -hmm. Guy said some really 
keep cutting things above your flow. Mm-hmm. Who was kind of the next person you ended up getting to work with that kind of work with or want to elevate yourself more? I mean, I didn't, I didn't really work or with. just even be around who was kind of after, after die, who were you kind of exposed to? The, like, the oh, next yeah, big, to the next thing. big one was Love Philip. Him. Philip was the next big one. Cause when I got here, he's of course in oh, Switzerland. Okay. So I, I wanted to go visit him. Yeah. So we had to, t- we had to send a, if this story is just the coolest story ever, and you guys will totally appreciate it. Um, awesome. uh, you had to send like a, what is it? A, um, a telegram. They didn't have a telephone. You had to send a telegram to them. Send a telegram, and then I got a telephone call from Tatine. She went to a phone booth and called me back a couple days later, or whatever, and they invited me to come. Then I came over, took the train over. Then this is still the old apartment, you know, where Felix. And, you know, is this. You've seen the pictures of the, the place, right? It's it's just, oh, it, yeah. it's a tiny apartment, and there's like you know a family of like four living there, and the living room was a tattoo shop. Um, and I was, uh, you know, you walk in trembling because you know you've seen these pictures in magazines, and before the internet, um, you know, there's so much mystery because you just see somebody in a magazine, and then you can imagine what kind of personality is behind these pictures. And, you know, there's just such a, it's such, it's such an impressive story that Philip has. And so I get over there and I'm immediately met by these really, really nice people who are offering me tea and the house smells like Nog Champa incense. And, uh, and, uh, you know, he's working on somebody, but he's talking to me and he like, he, you know, like he knows me, but we never really met, you know, but he, had, he knew of me. And, uh, then we're hanging out and smoking some pot and, uh, customer ends up leaving after a few hours, or whatever, and then you're sitting on the floor, and he pulls out some books, and you're like looking at all this stuff, and you're thinking to yourself, you're in like tattoo heaven, and then he's like, "So, um, you gonna stay over?" I said, oh, uh, "Okay, yeah, sure, uh, yeah, great, you know." So, okay, um, cool, okay, we'll get a bed ready for you or whatever. So, then anyway, a few more hours goes by, and I'm just like just vibrating the entire time, and then. Um, apparently they don't, they don't have like the, this apartment is really small. So I get, I go into a room and there's a bed and I lay on the bed or whatever. And the, you know, the, the day is over and I can't believe where I'm at. And, uh, so apparently this was Philip and Tatine's bedroom and I got to stay there and they slept on the floor of their parents' room. <laughs> you know, can you imagine? Wow. I, didn't even, I didn't even know that. I had no, no idea where I was. I couldn't even quite tell how many rooms there were, but I just knew the apartment was really small. Couldn't quite figure out how it was laid out. And then the next thing I remember is the door opens and Tatine comes in with a, a tray of like bread and jam and tea. And she puts it on top of the bed while I'm laying, you know, on, on top of me. And then Philip comes in with a guitar and he s- plays music for me while I eat breakfast. <laughs> I, I was just like, this can't be. This is just the coolest thing ever. It was really just like tattoo, oh. t- tattoo heaven, you know, it was so wonderful. And yeah. so, you know, uh, Philip was, you know, there, there's a lot of really strong personality types in tattooing. Now, I, I never really quite, um, I always felt like intimidated, to be honest, by people who are just really overconfident. And, uh, I mean, they had the, they had the ability in many cases, but I just, I don't know. And then Philip was really one of the first people that was just so, lovely and so nice and i thought okay this is a different way of tattooing you know this is just a different way of being a tattooer and it was really really nice and really eye-opening so philip philip um shaped very much about 
try, I'm trying to put in a little bit elegance and movement into the tattoos and, uh, and trying to uh, allowing myself to be the person that I am as a tattooer and as a person. And so then I was like, okay, now I'm off the hook. I don't have to act like a, a rooster the entire time. Um, and then I ran into, uh, soon after, um, uh, Luke Atkinson, who's also a really lovely, yeah. really lovely dude. Right? Incredible. Right. So, um, and these two shaped very much. I had visited Marcus Pacheco as well. I, I, I have to give that credit, but I only visited him for a short time to get tattooed. And, but he was also very down to earth and really kind and nice, or whatever. So that there's a couple of people that really shaped how I approach people in tattooing our customers. Um, but as far as like influencing styles, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I was really impressed by Bernie. Luther. Not just styles, more just like your work is like every artist kind of just coasts along, and then there's always kind of that next kind of bump in your mm -hmm. in your work. That's more what I meant. Like, when was the when was like you felt like what you were doing needed just to be more? Oh God, does that ever go away? that artist struggle of just trying to perpetually be better, right? Like it's always like that. It's horrible. It's, it's, it's the worst fucking job ever. I mean, don't do it. Go. I mean, and no matter what you achieve, it's, you, you feel great for 40 minutes and then it's gone. And then it's like, Oh, I could have done it better. Yeah. It's just like, it's just the infinite. It's like, you might as well just have a, like a, a whip and beat yourself the entire time. Um, the, you know, when I look back, there's clearly moments where there was a big jump. And I can't necessarily say what happened, particularly at that moment that had um, pushed that or, or created that, that whatever. And, you know, you, you just kind of get an understanding for something or you, you have good luck and then you'd make something and it was like, yeah. wow, this is really good. And then that inspires the next series of things or whatever. But then it's, it's always ups and downs. It's, yeah. But, yeah. but yeah. I definitely say that. that yeah. I, yeah. Sometimes it just clicks. Yeah. I mean, the, the trips to Bali definitely shaped was a huge thing. And in using Art Nouveau, Balinese ornamentation, the, the biomech organic stuff that I saw in Chicago, um, and the elegance of some of Philip's things definitely put together the very first time that I could say I'm finding my way somewhere and that I kind of found a, um, a direction that feels like me. Um, but I think one of the most important times that I had wasn't so much about drawing, it was writing. Um, you know, if you, if you sit with a piece of paper and you write what you like, what you really like, and what do you like before tattooing? What do you just like in general? And what are things that you, what are your personal symbols? What do you, when you think of your childhood, you think of the area that you grew up, uh, you know, like uh, you think of the things in the, your parents' house or whatever, you start to make a list of all these different things that you like and things that symbols that reflect your, 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 your story. Um, and then you start to make combinations of them. Uh, you can find that you could be, you can come up with, with a lot of different stuff that, that, um, means something to you. And when it means something to you, you draw it differently because it feels like it's personal. It's not just trying to necessarily reproduce something that you like because, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's necessary that we do variations of things that we like. There's no questions about that. I mean, uh, I think even musicians do that. They make cover songs or whatever. I always put a very strong importance on finding my own style or, or having a, a, a signature that looks like me because 
for me, it's just important that that something looks like you know we filter the the world around us and then we put things together and it should look like we are. And um, early on, we we are so impressed by a lot of different things that we end up unintentionally or intentionally copying them too much. And if you do that too long, you kind of lose yourself, or you never get a chance to find yourself. So mm-hmm. the, the writing made it clear on this piece of paper what I would like to do. And then I started to draw and sketch those things out. That's an incredible exercise. I, I, I think I'm going to give that self, give that to myself as a challenge. <laughs> yeah. You know, cause I mean, I mean, I grew up, there's like a lot like maple trees in my area, you know, and uh, my, my, my parents had this really stupid, horrible little like glass mushroom. I don't know what it was. It was a glass mushroom. I was sitting in the living room, but I was a kid. I mean, I remember laying on the green, horrible olive green carpet uh, and holding this glass mushroom. And then, you know, the light would come in and it would like make a prism. And so then if you look at some of this early psychedelic stuff, you know, and all this glass tech that comes from this experience, it comes from holding that. I mean, I held the mushroom like 50 times. So for me, it meant something, you know, it wasn't just, I like to make glass. It was about, you know, this, the magic of it that was in it, you know, so but everybody's got their own stuff. So, yeah, it's an interesting way to approach art though, because most artists are trying to live in a visual language and trying to either mimic what they enjoy or define their own style in that style. But this is something much more internal. Yeah. Yeah. It depends on what's important. I mean, I, I mean, I think, I don't know if, if everybody has the ability to innovate consistently. Um, some people are really good at refining. And so, I mean, everybody has uh, abilities. And I think, I guess if you recognize your, I mean, okay, I'll, I'll go back to this, but if you, if you, if you recognize your abilities and you say, no, I really, I really like this particular style and even better when it's um, limited, like if you have something like traditional tattooing or if you have Japanese tattooing or whatever, then you know wh- how far you can walk from side to side. So you have a limited, um, uh, hallway, and then you could bounce forward very quickly because the rules are set, and now you just learn the basics and then make variations of them. And uh, and there's a need for that, obviously. If you look at the popularity of either of those styles, I mean, so many people like them because they're beautiful and they're nice. If you're trying to express yourself, or you or you're using it as a platform to express yourself, then you're a little bit limited. You have to kind of find a way to make this water wave a little bit like your thing, or you make this leaf a little bit like that or whatever, so that you have a place to put your own personality into it because you don't have much space to do that, you know. But the nest, the, the need for that, the need for repetition um, is, is, is uh, how do you say that? I mean, it's just, there's people that are comforted by having clear, borders and there's there's a there's a need for it and a demand for it so why should it not exist you know but for me mm-hmm. um there was a concept uh, that i had, a, had i finally has a name for it i didn't realize there was a name but it's a concept called spike which is if you if you recognize your strengths and your weaknesses then it makes more sense to um focus on your strengths because if you spend your energy trying to improve your weaknesses you'll become average at it Right. You'll become you'll bring it from low to medium. But if you spend that energy making your strengths, improving them, you'll be here. So why then spend this energy trying to get somewhere in the average range when you can be spending all of your energy trying to be to get this one thing that you're really good at to be excellent? And, uh, yeah, um, you know, 
when we were, I mean, you guys have been tattooing for a long time as well. I mean, there was a time where you just really needed to make sure that you can do good lettering and a good, a good wolf and a good whatever. I mean, a Grim Reaper or whatever. You needed to be able to, to be an all-rounder so that you can satisfy the needs of the customers because there wasn't that many of them. Um, but nowadays, there are people for everything. So uh, you don't need to. You're not under pressure to be able to, ha- to, be, to have to be a great all-rounder. You can just be a good all-rounder and a great at some things. Yeah, yeah. I still struggle with the uh, have to be able to do everything. That was really driven into me mm-hmm. early on, mm-hmm. and that's been a pretty big struggle. Like especially the last ten years for me to try and focus on something. I'll start focusing on and really trying to improve on something, mm-hmm. and then I start feeling bad. Bad. Really weird. Or because now I run a sh- yeah, or I I run a shop also, uh-huh. and then I'll. I'll always be, because this is how I always was, even in the 90s, I always allowed the people around me, like I helped push them. So even when I have the guys working for me, I feel bad if I see them starting to do kind of like the soccer mom tattoos. So I'll, I'll take that on, which takes away my energy to be creative and stuff. I'm, I'm a self-sabotager <laughs> 100% really? when it comes to my art. Yeah, yeah. Doing this podcast has really helped me a lot. Well, what, what would you like to do? Yeah. That's my problem. You know, I think, oh, I want to be like, I want to do more Japanese stuff. But honestly, I want to do more art. I have so much. I still have like sketches of paintings I started in the 90s that I'm like, I'm going to do this one day. And now I'm finally coming back around. It was something that Tim Gidron said, actually. My biggest problem is also I get super frustrated uh, as soon as it doesn't look like what's in, what's in my head, yeah, and I just walk. I'm done, right? I'm like, I can't paint the way I can tattoo, but I need to stop trying to do that to begin with, right? So I just need to start doing art. So I just said, like, once you get over that, that it'll never look like what's in your head. Mm-hmm. You'll have growth. And I'm honest, I've painted more in the last six, like few months than I have in years. I'm just like. Almost every day I'm working. But don't, I mean, don't you have the experience that, that you, you, you made something that was disappointing because it didn't look like what you thought, what you intended. And then you look at it a few years later and go, no, that's really cool. That's really, it's really good. I mean, maybe yeah, it was a hundred percent. So, right. Uh-huh. But a lot of the times I just, I'll tear it up and throw it away. <laughs> Cause I'll just be so frustrated. I'm just like, fuck, you know, but, but now I'm, I'm, I'm over that. And now I'll, I'm trying to work on kind of multiple things at the same time. So I'm walking away from them and mm-hmm. then I'll come back. I was complaining about something a couple of weeks ago in a, one of my pieces and my girlfriend took it and walked to the other side of the room and held it up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh yeah, I'm always too close to it. And I always forget that. So I'm always super self-critical of that stuff. So, so doing this podcast has really helped me starting to do more things and trying to push more, artistically for myself mm-hmm. not even just for tattooing but just for myself so mm-hmm. yeah so i i get that i see i know what you mean by like looking inside and kind of remembering and what really you know trying to find your own voice and stuff like that i've always kind of stifled that in myself well i mean I, we we have a tendency because there's so much data nowadays i mean you, we get completely numbed by this enormous amount of stuff you see on social media i mean it's 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 just too much our brains are not made for that but the only thing I can recommend, if you want to see, if you want to force progress, write a page of you, what 
makes you you and, and what things that you really are passionate about, yeah. then make also descriptions of combinations of things that you think that would be cool. And then take a limited amount of reference. Pick 10 things or 15 things that you really, really like, print them out, put together a board or a little booklet or whatever, and only inspire yourself with these things for a particular amount of time. Say, I'm only gonna draw inspired by these pictures for four months. And then you will force yeah. progress, you know? Because if you, you're, every day you're looking awesome. at, if you, every day you're looking at the, uh, I mean, we stop, you pick up your telephone, right? And, you're, and if you've got good taste, which I'm sure you guys do have good taste, you've got a, you got a, you're following like, like a, you're following like a thousand and a half fantastic artists. And, and um, you, you just dilute yourself by the quantity of yeah. pictures and, it's, I think it's, I've, I've always found it interesting that concept of limiting yourself to create creativity. You know, the, the most interesting creative problem solving is done in a very small space. <laughs> you know, the, the problem of overcoming limitations. Yeah. You get lost. And, and of course, our job is stupid too, because you start something and then the person walks in a month later and then you have to work on three or three or four hours on the thing. And then, and then you don't really always get to choose what you're doing. It comes in whenever it comes in. So it's not like you can like say, okay, I'm going to start this theme and I want to work on like only like whatever. I mean, it's just, uh, it's just yeah. scary stuff for the next two weeks or whatever. You really are, you really are trying to squeeze us in on the evenings or on the weekends. And it's, it's, I mean, who, who what, artist does what we do where you have like 30 pictures going all the time or what musician writes 20 songs at the same time, you know, for like three hours at a, a go yeah. and, and somebody goes, okay, time to stop that song. Go a, back to this song, you know, and it, it doesn't, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I have a friend who's a accomplished watercolor artist published. He's quite famous in a small niche world, but he came by the tattoo shop one day to see how we work and what it's all about. At the end of the day, we went to dinner and asked him, so Al, what did you think? He's like, you guys are fucking crazy. <laughs> he goes, I sit down and paint when I'm inspired. Mm -hmm. If it takes me a month to do the painting, it takes me a month. You guys do this all day, every day, on mm -hmm. demand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it fucking sucks sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I mean, I, I think you underestimate your abilities because you, you're so used to it and because that, that's all you know because it's your, it's your world. You, I mean, the discipline that, that you, you, you have created or, 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 um, I don't even know how to say it. Um, you've harvested this, this, this discipline and you can use it in so many different ways that other artists have never had the, the, never built that, never, never, never discovered that, you know, then so, so, you know, if you were to take a break, let's say, you know, we had the pandemic again or whatever, and you had like a few months off, you could say you really would be able to, you know, create enormous amounts of artwork more than probably a, a, a standard artist would. You know? mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I imagine that's what craftspeople were like back in the day, illustrators. And, um, they, they must've been just creating on demand every day. Mm -hmm. Like Ch Chuck Close, you know, the, the yeah. artist Chuck Close, he always had these self portraits, enormous. You see every pore in his face. And, uh, he said, uh, inspiration is for beginners. The rest of us just get to work, you know? <laughs> I thought that was really cool. So when you started, uh, I'm just yeah. When you started traveling a lot, was that did that help you with your kind of work life balance or like 
what have what have you done especially you know even earlier in your career did you have any work-life balance because we know tattooing can be the all-consuming art work-life balance <laughs> so I found it. I guess it's a really interesting term um I mean the first 15 years I was compulsive about it I mean I was really just a compulsive just obsessive compulsive everything that I saw I was absorbing because I mean the world of tattooing was just opening it was like the, the beginning of the the tattoo renaissance where you have you're moving away from classic tattooing and everything is possible you have this tool or medium that you could do anything with and nothing's really been tried so then it, it was just like oh that would be possible and that would be possible and then trying to do full scale you know full scale body suits imagining you know what victorian would look like what would gothic look like what would whatever and so th then there was about 15 years that it was really just it was all about tattooing um and that's all i really wanted to do um and then after that you get, it, it becomes kind of like who you are i suppose and eventually i mean now i can turn it off like this and turn it back on again i mean uh if i walk out of the shop i get in the car and i'm already just a dad a dude to, you know, hungry, you know, um, and then I'm off, you know, then I'll think about, you know, uh, getting on the PS five and, you know, finding out what happened to Alan Wake. Um, uh, the next, I, I don't even look at my schedule, for example, I don't look at my schedule and I really rarely do because it doesn't really matter to me who comes in because I'm, I like all of them. And, um, so when they come in and the studio for me is really the classic studio, which is, that's where I produce my artwork. And so, uh, like at home, I'll draw a little bit of my the sock company that I have. I'll draw some of the socks or whatever, and that they, but that's kind of separate. Um, but here is where I come to make artwork, so I can turn it back on again. So I do have a clear separation between my work and my life, I guess. You know, um, but I've been doing this for a long time. It's like this. all right, hold on, I need to touch on this. You have the socks. socks. <laughs> yeah, totally. I love yeah. socks. Here, here, look. Here, socks. I need to order some socks. Do you, uh -huh. Socks. Oh my god! Aren't they cool? And what's the name of the company? A moon with a view, like a room with a view. A moon with a view. So oh, sweet. Yeah. So that was that was this, this week. Actually, is the company's a year old. So I had done everything for. This. Oh my no! It's just I'd done everything for that. Like from the logo design to the display design to website. Um, um, uh, uh, we did like. Um, photo shoots. And I mean, it was just a ton of work. It was a ton of work, but it was really cool. So this, this week is officially the company's one year old and it was really good. It was a good year. It was cool. cool. Yeah. So we did, Congratulations. Like, we did like seven, yeah, that's amazing. 17 designs I did for the first two series and I'm just finishing up the third series now. So that's going to go into production pretty soon. Yeah. So, What's the website? Where can we get them? A moon with a view, a, Dot com. Uh, actually, if you go to my Instagram, it'll it'll list uh, on the very top in the bio the, the the address for the other one. But it's cool. do you ship worldwide? Yeah, but you know, the, the socks are pretty cheap, and the problem is is that if you if you buy something that's like around twenty bucks to ship it overseas, there's there's customs fees. You know that yeah, I got to buy like ten pairs of socks. Yeah, right now. or you order a few people together, and then it's not that big of a deal. But if you just order one pair of socks, it's kind yeah. of like kind of stupid, I think. Yeah, eventually I'll get yeah, just, just one <laughs> And then I've also got like, like, like I have gift boxes which I really like. I have to show you because I'm proud of them. Um, so yeah, if I do like yes. this is like sort of like traditional tattoo stuff that I. Oh yeah. Yeah, and then sort of like boxes. Anyway, um, 
Very cool. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, the, the first year was uh, staying inside of Switzerland. I'm going to go in January next month to a fashion show in Florence, Italy, which Ooh. is terrifying me, really terrifying, because I have to give the illusion that I know what I'm doing to a bunch of people who really do know what they're doing. <laughs> And they have to play it off and, you know, say, you know, it's, it's a legitimate company. But, you know, it's good. I mean, we did we did really well the first year. And then uh, I'm really hoping to get some distributors outside of Switzerland because uh, it's difficult for we're not part of the European Union here, which means if you're from Italy or Germany or France and you order, it still has to go through customs. So there's additional fees that are unnecessary yeah, yeah. for people. So I advertised only to Switzerland for the first year. And now I'm starting to go to the next go outside. Yeah. Let's uh, let's talk after this about uh, Canadian distribution. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. I love exploring shit. So, <laughs> well, I mean, it's 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 great. I mean, it, it's it's fun. It's nice. It's a nice product, and uh, it's really good, good good stuff. And it's fun. It was nice. actually, to how be honest, you, uh, how did you come up with socks? Why socks? And not underwear. It's funny that you say that. Okay, there's actually there's a perfectly there's a perfectly reasonable explanation. I had tattooing had become so normal for me that it was so automatic, and I and I really enjoy it. I enjoy the people. I enjoy problem solving. I enjoy making things for a specific person. Um, it's really it's really close to me. But it became so automatic automatic that um, I was curious about doing something different. I mean, we all sit around and think, oh, wouldn't it be cool to do this or wouldn't it be cool to do that? And you, you know, by the time you're 50, like me or whatever, 54, you've done that now 25,000 times and you never really did anything. So this, you did the podcast, right? And so I was thinking, okay, you know what? Yeah. This time I'm going to do something. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to um, complete and realize this idea. And I had been to Chicago with my my son and we were standing in, 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 I don't know where it was, it was something like Target or Walmart or whatever. They had like a swag display. Have you seen swag? Which is, you probably have seen it. It's like, like Corona beer or Mountain Dew underwear or uh, Frosted Flakes okay. socks or whatever. Yeah. And the, the display was super colorful and great. And so we were both standing, there going, this is so cool. And he, he got, I think I got Corona underwear and he got like Mountain Dew underwear or something like that. <laughs> so that's funny about the underwear. Got back to Switzerland and then I went to the shopping center here and they had happy socks and uh, they're just horrible. Every time I walk up to the stand because they're so colorful, and every time it's just like, I don't know, like a little lawnmower that repeats all over the whole thing or an ice cream cone or a piece of pizza. And I'm like, or a kangaroo. They and I'm wear like, out very fast. They, what? They wear out? They very, wear out very fast. They're horrible. They're, they're, the no, they're, not, they're not good. These are, these are brilliant. Yeah. Uh, but I was thinking it's just a shame because every time I walk up, I'm thinking I want to get something and every time I can't find one. So on the way home, I was thinking about Chicago, about the swag stuff, and then about the happy socks. And I thought... I would do this or this. And then I went online and I started to look for manufacturers. And then suddenly I was talking to somebody on a chat or whatever. And then I felt like I was obligated to do something because now there's a real person <laughs> I'm talking to. And so I had them send me a template. And then, uh, and then I did, I did one design right away. And then I was going to send it in for a sample. And then uh, anyway, you know how it is. It took a couple of weeks for the sample to come back. And by that time I already had 10 other ideas and, I started working on those and eventually I got so far in, I thought I might as well just do it. So I did it. And, uh, it was a, the drawing of the socks was probably the easiest thing of the whole story. I mean, just yeah. e-commerce sites and, uh, payment systems and postage and 
I mean, there's so much stuff, photo, photo shoots, picking models, finding models, you know, these are finding photographers. Yeah. Uh, it was really a lot of learning. It's crazy that you probably mm. never would have had any interest in this early in your career. Mm. No, of course not. But now, do you find you're enjoying the process? Yeah, it's great. I really do. And the funny thing is that I never wore colored socks. <clears throat> so talk about, <clears throat> talk about doing something stupid. So, um, <clears throat> now, <clears throat> now I wear them every day. But at the time, I didn't wear them. But it was, it was mostly because, you know, if you produce something like a jacket, it's, oh, you know, it's, it, or t-shirts or whatever. I mean, it's quite an investment. So by starting with something small that the idea was make something that's fun, really cool that everybody can afford. And at times during the, you know, the post pandemic or pandemic stuff and finances are a little bit tight, and, you know, why not just create something that's fun and accessible to everybody, you know, and there's just cheap pleasure. You know, yeah. you open up your sock drawer, maybe you don't put them on that week, but you're kind of happy to see them every time. That kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Mm -hmm. And then I started going to some, uh, like trade shows and some shows, comic cons and stuff like that, starting to promote them. And then I put myself in situations that I wasn't a tattooer. I was just a guy, you know, and then you meet a lot of people that you would never have met and, uh, you see people's responses to something and to make a product, you know, cause we're, we're surrounded by them. I mean, cause your, your shirt or your hats or whatever, you, you, you're so used to products, but you never really made one before. So what's it like to be, to make something, you know, and it was a really, it's a really good experience. I liked it. I still like it. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And then are next, you fulfilling all the orders yourself, or do you have a yeah, I do it all myself. Yeah, it's not that big that I need to have somebody working for me. But um, the next is going to be—I'm going to do surf shorts next. I think that'll be cool. Because cool, yeah. But back to oh, tattooing, because nobody gives a shit about socks and stuff. Yes. <laughs> so, what was your what, when you landed in Europe? What was the? Were you in someone else's studio? Did we start a studio? You no, know, we started. We opened up Triple X pretty much for the first year. Oh, okay. First year I was here with my ex-wife and a guy named Valentin Steinman. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, we still, we were over at, oh, in Old Town, which is, you know, just, I mean, Lucerne is just an incredibly beautiful place. I mean, when I got here, I had probably goosebumps for like weeks because it's so, so beautiful. And now I'm so used to it. But uh, we were in, in Old Town up on the top floor of a building and then stayed there for a few years. And then I ended up moving over to this street here. Now I've been here, I think this is 22 years at this location. Yeah. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. 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 April will be 30, so 32 years. How many people do you have working for you? Well, at the high point we had, there was, I think, five of us. Now there is three of us. Um, but you know, tattooing has changed. It's, it's the, the, the internet or Instagram or social media has taken really the studios out of the middle point between the customer and the artist. So as yeah. artists leave and they take their customers with them, eventually there's really very little to replace them with. So I can't necessarily offer somebody an opportunity because I don't have the walk-ins that would come in before, you know, it just, people shop differently now. Yeah. Yeah. But it's okay. I mean, this. I'm really happy with the people that are here. But uh, yeah, there's not not five anymore. Is Triple X a street shop? Not really. I mean, we're on the street, I mean, but uh, we don't have like any flash whatsoever, and people don't come in for spontaneous tattoos. We usually are all by appointment. Yeah. yeah. But originally, originally we were. Are you doing any conventions? I hate conventions. Whoa. No, I don't like, I don't like conventions. And in fact, I stopped going for 15 years. So my first convention 
after 15 years of a break was um, Frankfurt. And um, last year, which was basically the new London, isn't it? Um, and then a couple, about six weeks later, I went to Norway. So those are the first ones. The, 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 the um, Frankfurt was obviously Mickey Villaletto's show, and everybody was like the best of the best from everywhere. And that was one level. And then I went to Norway, which was done by, uh, organized by a super lovely guy, Joachim. And uh, he's really passionate about it. And it's kind of a, a small, a small, I mean, it's a town, small city or whatever. Um, and it was a very limited amount of artists. And it was also, it was really lovely. It was really beautiful. I mean, Norway is beautiful anyway, but the people were really nice and uh, had a good time. I had a good time at both places. But what I realized is that I don't like tattooing at conventions at, at all. I really. I was just going to ask, were you actually tattooing there? Yeah, I did. I did, but I just don't like it. I don't like it. I mean, I really like, I have a beautiful, yeah, I have a beautiful space. I know where everything's at. I, you know, cause I tattoo it here at the center of me. And, and when you're at a convention, it's, it's so stressful. And the person that you tattoo doesn't really have a chance to, listen to your music or see your stuff or your collections of things. And the whole experience is, is kind of like, you know, a shopping center in a way. And, um, it cheapens it. And for me, it's tattooing is really important. And this, I mean, I don't want to be, I mean, everyone has a right to do what they, what they like. And obviously t- conventions are very popular and people like to do them. But for me, it just, it, it, it took away the intimacy of the experience and, and, the and, um, I just don't like it. So I don't think I'm going to do anymore, yeah. uh, but, uh, I, I haven't tattooed at a convention in probably 15 years either. Well, there you go. Yeah. But I, but I attend them. Do you? I noticed they're what they're a lot of fun just to walk around. Yeah. I noticed that it changed so much because I dis I disappeared so long. I mean, I'm not really active in the whole tattoo thing. I have my friends or whatever, but I don't like, I, I don't really participate so much in the scene as it is. Um, but there's a lot of people I hadn't seen in so long. And the, the vibe was, totally different than it was 15 years ago and the way people interact with each other and stuff like that. But the, I mean, the artwork was incredible, incredible. Fascinating. Yeah. 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 What about guest spots? You do them? No, I would, I suppose I would do guest spots. Yeah. But I just, I mean, do you have guests at your studio? Um, we did when, 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 when we, there was a bunch of work, we had guests come over. Um, and I suppose, I mean, the last one, I mean, Shane Tan was here a couple years ago. Uh, um, like, yeah, a few different people come by, but it, like I said, I mean, the Lucerne got pretty swamped with tattoo shops. Um, so, uh, if you have your own customers, then you're welcome to come. But if you, if you're expecting me to organize something, <laughs> it's the same everywhere. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's like, yeah, I, I, I mean, I definitely enjoy having people around and, uh, and, learning from them or just actually learning from who they are and not necessarily the artworks so much, but, uh, doing guest spots. I mean, I had kids, so the kids were small and then I didn't really feel, I never allowed myself the freedom to go and do guest spots. Let's put it that way. Cause I wanted to be near the, near the kids when they're growing up, but now they're a bit older. So, yeah. Yeah, of course. Mm. Is your kids going to get into tattooing? I hope not. I hope not. No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> um, uh no I I mean Max my son it's he, so funny he, eh? like what we we talk about how passionate we are about tattooing and we love it and how rewarding it is but everyone's like no I don't want my kid to tattoo 
it's hard, you know, and and you really, I, th I think you really have to have a true, genuine passion for it. And if you're doing it because your dad did it, and it's an easy way because you know it, I don't know. Maybe maybe it won't bring the satisfaction that you hope that your kids will have, you know, uh, when they discover their own thing and they they follow their own path. I mean, um, uh, oh, what's his name? I mean, Anthony Tex. His son. Oh, fuck. Prodded? Yeah, he's fantastic. You know? Yeah. Uh, and he loves it. Like yeah, 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 yeah. But that, I think that's kind of rare. Usually, usually, the, I mean, look at, I mean, Felix was a tattooer and look what Philip did. So, I mean, obviously, sometimes the kids just, you know, race past their parents. Um, but uh, no, I don't think that my son has the patience for that. And I, he doesn't really like to draw very much. And no, I don't think so. And my daughter, she could if she wanted to, but I don't think she'll do it either. Awesome. Dave, you want to ask a question? Top five tattooers. When? You, when? Who are your top five? Now or before? Okay. Or? Uh, just, Whenever you want. Just five. Just five. It's easy. There's only five names. I mean, come on. <laughs> okay. Because I already mentioned people that inspired me early on. I suppose I can leave them out. But yeah. the one who I just, <laughs> I just love in, uh, is that, I, I, I hope I say his name right, Gakin. Gakin. Oh, yeah. Gakin? Yeah, or Gakinks is on, on Instagram. Gakin is a Japanese guy living in uh, the Netherlands. So I think he's Amsterdam. actually going, going yeah. back. I think he's going back to Japan or he did already. But his stuff is just so beautiful. Man, I mean, I could wear almost everything he makes. Um, yeah. Uh, and I like very much, uh, Lars Uwe, Loose Lips. Um, oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've been, I've been tattooed by him a bunch, so I know him really well. He's wonderful. Um, and I like very much, uh, you want to put in a good word for us? We'd love to interview. He'll, I don't think he'll do that. You pretty much forget it. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I would be, I don't know. I would be surprised, but, uh, I, I don't know. You'd be surprised, but maybe he would. Maybe he would. He's just a, he is incredible. He's just, I'll reach he's, out. what? Um, I'll reach out. Yeah, reach out. Do it. I'll, I'll send a note. You guys are good. Um, there's a woman named Filuino. Filuino. She's also really does really nice body suits on, on mostly women. Um, they're really elegant, a little bit of, uh, a little bit Art Nouveau-ish too. Uh, lovely. And Fibs, I like very much, you know. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, I guess I have one more or no? Filuino, Gawking. One more. Then I would say Daniel Bauti. Daniel Bauti from, I think he's in, I think he's in Mallorca, Spain. God, his work is just beautiful. This is also Art Nouveau. Uh Beautiful stuff. Does he do big paintings, large scale painting? No, he just put a, he just did a book, but everyone does one of those. Oh. Um, it really okay. does look like turn of the century, <laughs> elegant Art Nouveau, but he has his way of it. It's, it's really clean, and you know I can go on to all the guys in California, all the people that are doing the sort of Art Nouveau, new school stuff, or whatever. But he really has something quite special. Like Lars has something quite special, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What are you doing a book? Well, I'm not. I'm not doing a book because I can't photograph. Oh, I can't photograph for shit. I cannot photograph my tattoos to save my life. They all look horrible. So, um, 
And I, luckily, I was just following Chris Trevino after yeah. not following him for years. And he can't photograph for shit either. So that's cool. At least, you know, there's, there's a bunch of us out there. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but I'm really horrible at photographing, really. Oh, terrible. Same. Yeah. It's okay. So I have a collection of yeah. shitty photos in a book, but I don't know what I want to see. Yeah. I would love to see a book from you on process. The process. Like concept. Yeah, 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 conceptualizing, sketching. Yeah, I mean, almost yeah. everything. Every, almost, like, right. Everything I almost everything I do is drawn on. Um, it's almost I would say ninety five percent freehand everything, um, and I don't really make much photographs of the process. But I was thinking nowadays with with you know with the smartphones or whatever, I suppose I can make some videos um, because uh, it's kind of interesting. So it's just interesting to see how it goes. I mean, but you know, the, the process for me is also the conversation leading up to the sketching and then the conversation as you're sketching and then the talking in the mirror and, and, and refining the, the sketch or blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, it's always, it's, uh, I'm just not that organized. And often at the end of the day, I'm so tired that I just kind of like take a, take, take a couple photographs thinking oh, they're good enough. And then I realize the next day they're just terrible. You know? If you took like three to five clients and did case studies of each one, you could present them as just basically um, introduction, what the preliminary process is, what you talked about, how you evolve that into a sketch, freehand, mm -hmm. a tattoo. That'd be fascinating. Yeah. No one's done that. That's true. It would be good. Because for me, that's the most important part. To be honest, I mean, when you look at these beautiful tattoos that are made for people and you don't really know who it's on um it, it it is somehow or another a bit shallow because it's, it's basically just it's it's highlighting and spotlighting the artist's abilities but it doesn't say i mean the purpose of the tattoo is to bring something onto somebody with this with i don't want to say a story because i think that's i mean it doesn't need to be in a terribly important story, but there are usually moments in people's lives that are a period of transition and what you're trying to accomplish with, with the tattoo. And so if you don't have the story behind it, then it's hard to really be able to judge a tattoo. And it's also very, like, mm -hmm. if you have a competition for tattooing, I mean, the personal tastes of the five people who are on the jury decide whether something is good or not. And I mean, that could be put another five people up there. They would have picked another design that would have you know, got yeah. to place, whatever. Yeah. Absolutely. So when when your clients are coming in, like are are they coming in with like full ideas, or is a lot of your stuff still conceptual at the time of? Yeah, a lot of it's conceptual. I mean, there's there's always there's always people that are know what they want. I mean, and there's other people. I mean, the worst thing you could do is just say, I, I what, what I hate, it freaks me out, is um, yeah, I really like do your stuff. Do something. Yeah, yeah. And it's like you're standing in the middle of the yeah. desert, and someone says, start walking. It's like, well, which way do I walk, yeah. you know? And it's like, oh, no, walk somewhere. So you just, that that I don't like. But um, the conversation is interesting because, you know, a lot of people are very naive about pictures and they, 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 they look at the internet to motivate themselves and inspire themselves. And what you're doing is you're looking at other people's ideas. And so the conversation about, like I said before, choosing personal symbols, what symbols relate to you or what, when they say, yeah, I, you know, I'm a period of change. And then you say, well, what kind of change? What does change mean to you? And uh, blah, blah, blah. And, and through the conversation, you, you find things, you know, and also, I mean, the mimics, when you say something, you can tell immediately by an, a twitch of an eyebrow, whether it's attractive to a person 
or definitely not something that they like to have. And then you shape the next sentence based on their reaction. And then somehow or another you find the path. It's really quite interesting. But now I would say most of the customers come in, they like your, my, they like my work. They want to have something like this, this or this tattoo that I've done, but they want to have a little bit in this direction of whatever, blah, blah, blah. And that's where we start. Yeah. Let's say. Yeah. Yeah. You should do a little video blog series on your Instagram. It'd be awesome. Yeah. We'll do that. When you find time between making socks, raising kids, yeah, and well. <laughs> playing play PlayStation. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. And playing PlayStation. Yeah. 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 I have I have a fetish for pinball machines too, which is horrible, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Because I, when I was in Chicago, I didn't realize uh, that all most of all pinball machines are manufactured in Chicago. I don't know if you guys know that. Oh, crazy. Yeah. So when I grew really? up, when I grew up, they were everywhere. And then when I got here, uh, there was hard, there was anything, and I thought I'd buy one for the studio. And then uh, couldn't didn't know where to go buy one. And uh, there was a collector went over to his place, and anyway, he opened up this room, and there was things that I hadn't seen since I was a kid, and it was so nostalgic and sentimental that I went bonkers and then just started collecting. So I got a collection of pinball machines. So how many do you own? Forty. Wow, I was expecting you to say four. No. Yeah, I have a game room. Uh, but I don't, because they're really big, and I, they're really difficult to move, so I don't really buy it anymore. But what I did is I, I kind of learned how to repair them and restore them. So I basically spent quite a bit of time finding things and taking them apart and rebuilding them. It's just cars and motorcycles, the same shit. But I got, I have like, for, for example, running right next to me is from the 1957. They're super cool. Like, 1957. This. Wait, can you see it? Wow. Oh, nice. Isn't that cool? Yeah. That one was trash oh, when I got it. Yeah. And then my kids hate them. They don't care. That's the right. No, of course not. No. It's not flashy enough. No, it's not beef. So you, you essentially have 39 pinball machines at home. Yeah. 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 It's ridiculous. It's totally stupid. And I don't recommend it. I mean, like, well, you say it like that. Next, next, next life, I swear I'm going to collect stamps because it's just ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I have a really nice game room and a really cool collection of stuff. It's really kind of very stupid. A very understanding partner. Yeah. Well, the, yeah. But the basement really wasn't usable until I kind of made it usable. So. But, you know, it's cool because, I mean, for example, I got a game la a couple of years ago that was uh, uh, 1954, I think. And all of them that were known to exist were in the hands of collectors already. And there was a guy near Belgium that had, he advertised one, but I thought it was a lie because there wasn't any supposed to be around. And because I'm from Chicago and his mother had visited Chicago and his aunt went to school in Lucerne, he took a liking to me compared to all the other people. And he sold me this thing. And uh, it was in storage since before I was born. This game was not played since wow. 1966 or something like that. So when I had taken it back here and I cleaned it up and you know turned it on for the first time, it was like it was the first time in my entire life that this thing had life in it again. And it was really fascinating. It's really cool. You know? That's wild. Uh -huh. Amazing. And they're so beautiful. The, the games in the 50s are so beautiful because they have like, 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 oil wells and Cadillacs and rocket ships and robots and 
you know, pinups and all the stuff that is just and super. Not plastic decals. No, no. Mostly hand painted. Yeah, they're like they're like like time capsules, and they're wonderful, and they're not really discovered. I mean, I mean, cars and motorcycles, you can't find them anymore, but this stuff is like extraordinarily beautiful, and the artwork is brilliant. It's great, and you can play them on top of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. very cool. Yeah. So, what? Who's who's your next That's victim? Awesome. Uh, um, oh, we had some technical difficulties this week. We lost part of a John Clue interview, so oh, we got to redo that. Okay. Uh, Zach Shanebaum, uh, Shrine Tattoo. Okay. Um, he had a snowstorm in a place that shouldn't have a snowstorm, so it kind of fucked his day up. <laughs> we have uh, Cindy Maxwell coming up, uh, Eddie Deutsch, Marcus Pacheco. Really? Oh, that's going to be good. Yeah. That's going to be good. Yeah. Uh, Marcus is so, great. Yeah, yeah there's some, there's some really good people coming up. Yeah, Eddie Deutsch conversation. Yeah, Eddie Deutsch and Mark. I mean, this is kind of kind of like my generation a little bit. They started a couple of years before me, but uh, Eddie Deutsch even he was really one of the the, the early ones. Um, but uh, I mean, I mean, I remember when Guy was tattooing Marcus's back piece. I was there, and I, Guy was also there when when Guy was tattooing Aaron Kane's back piece. That was really cool. Um, but Marcus oh, had divided up his back into quarter. Was what? that a who? Who? Sorry, who was the back that did Guy and Dan Higgs do something on somebody? I don't know about Dan Dan Higgs. I mean, they might have, and likely they did. But I, I mean, Guy did a Willy Wonka back piece on Aaron Kane. That was cool. What? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Aaron Kane said a Willy Wonka. That's back crazy. Piece. And, and and it was like long sessions. Yeah, I mean, I, I was there when he was. I, I think I was. I, I wasn't there when he did. When he he was more of like reworking some stuff at the very end, because uh, I mean, but I remember when Marcus came into Chicago, and I was not. I think I think I was working on weekends there, or I was just about to start, and they were tattooing. No, Guilty Innocent was being constructed, and they were tattooing at Guy's house, and uh, they divided up Marcus's back into four quarters and i walked in on quarter number three it was the third day and this is before like you know, all that you know whatever painkillers whatever and he had headphones on squeezing them onto his head and just trembling or whatever it was just brutal it was brutal to watch but it was cool to be there it was i was gonna <laughs> It was not very good, good advertising to get your back piece, though. I can tell you, it was, it was tragic, tragic. No doubt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. NyQuil. I know a lot of, I don't know about you, but really? I, a lot of us were drinking NyQuil. Did it work? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Because you'd just be so out of it and you didn't care. And it's funny because it was actually. Steve Moore was like, oh, you should drink NyQuil. Aaron told me it works really well. He did it when he got his back piece done. Really? Uh-uh, no. -uh. So, I, I, I remember when Percocet and Percocet. bottle. Really? Yeah, but oh, yeah. That was always, that was, that was drinking nights. But, yeah, but doesn't it kill your liver? You're kind of horrible for you. Yeah. Whatever. Young and well, dumb. <laughs> but, yeah. So, yeah, I remember I drank so much NyQuil um, that I was like, I felt like I was on a lot of ecstasy. I was like <laughs> in and out of sleeping while he's working on my arm. And I was just like, 
some, I remember his, uh, his then girlfriend was talking to me and then she like walked away and I got sad. <laughs> I, was, like, I was in the conversation, you know, I was just so in the conversation and not in the tattoo. And then she left and I was immediately back into the tattoo. And I was just like, I miss you. Super weird. And then I went and met a bunch of friends at our local pool hall, and I passed out on a chair in the pool hall. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Don't drink a whole bottle of that. Nah, no, I never, I never even heard of that. I, mean, I, I, we, we got into immediately Percocet and Percodan and Vicodan and Vicodan yeah. or whatever. That, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think we, yeah. we can get Nyquil here. I think. It's called Dick's Medi Night here. Medi Night. Oh, okay. it's not even Nyquil. Sounds like it tastes gross. It's probably gross. I can't drink any of that shit. Really? I take Robax, and it just relaxes you enough that you can deal with it. Huh. Over the counter, it's just a muscle relaxant. He's <laughs> just too limp to fight. That's Wild. <laughs> 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 I take like five. Exactly. It's just a it's just a puddle of Dave over there in the corner. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. Oh man, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for doing. Oh, this. you're welcome. Yeah. You don't really do this stuff. Thanks for the invitation. It's cool. But a lot of people were excited to know that we were interviewing you. Really? Yeah. It's cool. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Of course. Like I said, I don't really. I don't really do anything anymore so i'm like in my little universe and um uh, oh you know what i have to say something because it's not really fair i i have to i was thinking about phil because phil i really like phil's work so i gotta add a yeah. six to that because phil makes everything look like phil <laughs> phil makes everything looks like, like his stuff and it's got he's got his signature and i just think it's the coolest fucking thing i need um yeah, yeah. he's just incredible and he's a workaholic too he's always got something going on yeah Always doing something. Uh -huh. Yeah, he's doing a podcast now too. Yeah. Of course, of course. <laughs> but he doesn't have any pinball machines, and he can't fix yeah. them. Yeah. Okay, when he hears this, you know that's going to be a new challenge to him. Exactly. <laughs> He'll probably design and build. I'm on it. I'm on it. <laughs> the table didn't work out, so he's like, "I'll build pinball machines." It's <laughs> a good idea. I'm ordering those water socks that are right beside you there. Yeah, water waves. Yeah, I got more. Oh, those are more nice. Stuff. <laughs> anyway, yeah, more Very coming. Cool. More coming. Yeah. I got like nine designs I'm working on right now. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna send you a message and see if we can get them into Canada. Okay. Very good. By the way, your head is perfectly placed. In the skull, it's so cool. You got like these two little bones that stick out of your neck, a little bit Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's cool. Awesome. By design. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> All right, excellent. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. It was super cool. And um, thank you. I'm curious. Yeah, this was awesome. Yeah. All right. So I guess yeah, uh, this will be our uh, first drop in the new year. Really? Cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah new Year's baby. Okay, you, you'll know. Okay, excellent. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, then, hey, it was nice to meet you because I haven't even, I've never spoke to you guys before. Super cool. Yeah. And uh, we'll hear from each other Thank then, you. huh? Yeah, Absolutely. you bet. All right. All right. Great. Cool. All righty. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Ciao, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. It was great getting to know Curly and this amazing guy that tattooed with one arm. You know, the customer had to stretch his own skin. 
So I did get blood poisoning from him twice. Twice? Yeah. <laughs> twice? <laughs> Hardy brought this whole uh, Japanese influence into American tattooing. Once Dave Shore came onto the scene, it was like tattooing completely changed. If anybody could say anything about greaseball Japanese, it's fucking Dave Shore. Salty, piratey, bikery, just hard knots do. Man, he'd pull in on his chopper with the tattoos and the girls, and I mean, he was just like so cool, man. He captured vulgarity and pleasure and insanity and recklessness. Tattoo in the 80s or 70s, just not the same, uh, yeah. You had to be a tough guy. I was scared shitless. Even though I was, a, you know, kind of a biker guy, these were bigger biker guys, you know? <laughs> I'm not totally sure you could paint the picture accurately to somebody now getting into tattooing about what it was like then. And the only reason I, f I would say or I feel that way, though, is because they might not believe you. We had the limo waiting for him with all the lines of blow lined up at the airport. This is the way we do it in Canada. <laughs> in the like 80s, 90s, Paul, Paul Jeffries was like the king of tattooing. It wasn't just in Canada. Like, am I supposed to stop tattooing? Because if this is what I'm supposed to aspire to, that's <laughs> not gonna happen. Each one of these old masters influenced groups of tattooers who in turn influenced other groups of tattooers. True North Strong Tattoo Book. This is a massive tattoo encyclopedia of Canadian tattooers. 350 pages. It's an 11 by 17 coffee table format. Sean and Dan worked tirelessly to get this thing out. And sadly, it never made it to print, so it's available for free download at theholdfastsocialclub.com and championtattoo.ca.